0: With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC
1: Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome to Booth Review, presented by Emprise Bank. There's more options to do banking now more than ever. Who you do uh, work with is more important than how close they are to your home. Emprise has digital banking that meets you where you are, on your phone, on your computer. Even your smartwatch. They are a trusted partner at your fingertips. That Emprise Bank, member FDIC, our partner in po- possible here at KC Sports Network. It's been absolutely wonderful to work with them. I guess it's absolutely wonderful to be working with Scott Chase. and Scott, you are back from... Uh, your your locale is uh, different. This is the first time we've seen this backdrop since like two weeks ago. You were on vacay, and then you were at the booth the last time we talked.
2: Yeah, now it's booth review from decidedly not the booth. And you know what? It's it's funny you mentioned Emprise Bank. You know, they have trusted hands. You're in good, you know, a trusted partner at your fingertips. I couldn't help but think while you were talking about that, that's like Kwame Lassiter being back there returning punts. You know he's going to catch the ball. He's going to make the right decision. Maybe not totally what we saw from Luke Grimm in week one with the muff punt, but uh, hopefully he'll improve.
1: Yeah, one of the one of the few lowlights of uh of a of a absolute drubbing of Tennessee Tech, a game that Kansas should have won handily, and they absolutely did in a, in, in, in in decisive fashion. But yeah, I mean, you saw you know that was one of the few hiccups, you know, the Jalen Daniels interception. But there, there really wasn't too many. There's a lot of positives to take away, and I think we got a lot to discuss. I think you know, like we both had a chance to rewatch this game. I've watched it a couple times too. I'm fascinated by a lot of stuff. I mean, maybe we just jump into this really quick off the top. Mm-hmm. I, we'll see where this goes. We always have a rundown and things wind up going off the rails very quickly. But I am just so fascinated by that offense that the, that KU rolled out there. Um, it, it's different than what they've done in the past. And I think it's really smart because like you talk about like we, I'm, I cover the Chiefs, right? So Andy Reid does a wonderful, masterful job of playing to the strengths of, of his skill players. And when you look at the components that the the ku offense has okay so we look at the quarterback position both starter and backup mobile good moving capable you know, carrying the football okay you have five capable running backs mm-hmm. you have a h-back tight end type in jared casey you have capable blocking tight ends finally i look at all of those components and i say okay Yeah, some of this option stuff that they introduced this week was not something you really saw KU run last year, but all the components and all the elements and all the pieces are there. that makes sense that they, they introduced that into their offensive arsenal, Scott.
2: Yeah, well, I just think, one, it's a way to get different people on the field. Two, it's a different look than, like you mentioned, I mean, everyone knows what Lance Leipold and and what Kansas by proxy of of being coached by Lance Leipold will like want to do and want to accomplish offensively, how they want to run the ball. So anything you can do to bring in misdirection to engage other playmakers, I think I think that's to the benefit of KU. And I also think that helps a lot more just because positions like wide receiver are a bit of a question mark on this team or, you know, quite frankly, I thought the run blocking was a little bit disappointing. Not I, I didn't think it was bad by any means, but I thought the pass blocking was better. Um, so find creative ways to use those guys. And if, if they feel comfortable blocking a different scheme or something, you know, um, I think it opens the offense up and, and Kent, that kind of leads into a question. I wanted to ask you, do you feel better about the Kansas offense or better about the Kansas defense coming off that first game?
1: Uh, better about the Kansas ooh, defense. I, oh, man, that's hard. I feel I good think about the both. Defense,
2: I, I think the defense played better but I think I feel better about the offense specifically because of, because of what you mentioned. Like I saw enough from Jalen Daniels making a few throws that he needed to when the opportunities presented itself. I was impressed by all the running backs on film rewatch. Jared Casey was the number one guy who I thought played a lot or, or who, when I rewatched it and and had, you know, the remote and slowing it down and okay, how'd this run go or, or how did this guy get open? I felt a lot better about Jared Casey's performance and, yeah, I think I felt a lot better about KU's pass blocking too. Jalen Daniels got hit a couple times, but I thought he pretty much had opportunities to do everything he wanted.
1: I yeah, it's tricky because like the 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 defense was overwhelmingly good, and I think there's probably a little bit of recency bias because of how poor the defense has been mm-hmm. uh, in in recent memory. I feel like the offense has been a little bit farther ahead than the defense. Uh, which is kind of weird to say, um, because I know I know the offenses offense had some duds last year, but I think the Jalen Daniels version of an offense has proven to be quite potent and capable in Big Twelve caliber. But the defense's growth, I think, has just me so excited that maybe I maybe it's a little bit of recency bias and the hype around uh, what we saw, but th- th- that offense was completely overmatched. But I think you saw the elements of, of a of a quality football team. You mentioned Jarrett Paul, by the way. Like I this is one of the things on the reel. You mentioned Jarrett Paul uh right after the game. And that I just want to commend you because re-watching that game, I, I he flashed a couple times, but there was just a couple other moments where I was like, Okay, Jarrett Paul. Like he had a play out on the at, at the the quarterback sprinted out and, and he scrambled out. Jarrett Paul closed and made a great form tackle short of the sticks to force Tennessee to detect a punt. I just, that awareness, that physicality, um, the the ability to close on the ball, the close on the ball carrier. It was all outstanding. I was just very impressed by him. And he was just a steady, he's a steady guy that, you know, he, he wasn't a starter. He he didn't start Mm -hmm. for this team. And yet here he is, you know, Having a making some big splash plays. I think Brian Borland kind of called him a utility infielder almost like that was one of his comparisons. I get it because he's a yeah. guy that you want to try to figure out how to get on the field a little bit and they'll, you know, it'll figure itself out. I was uber impressed by what we saw to him. So I want to commend you on that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let me three transfer defensive backs, Jared, Paul, Kalen Gervin, Marvin Grant. I think all three, Like you mentioned some of the problems KU had with maybe freshmen or younger guys, not being the best tacklers. Mm -hmm. Those guys came to Kansas to hit people, to make tackles, to make plays that honestly, that was one of the biggest takeaways I had again, rewatching it. But even in real time, I I was like, Hey, these people are not afraid to tackle. They'll hit somebody and they know how to do it in a way that, you know, even if the effort is good, they're still, they're going to actually bring the guy down. Mm -hmm. I thought that was tremendously impressive. I'm glad you mentioned Jarrett Paul because I didn't focus on him as much when I was going back and and watching. I was focusing on some of the guys, um, especially, you know, around the line of scrimmage, the defensive line to me, I thought they were pretty good and pretty dominant watching it live on rewatch. They controlled that game. And I think that's why to take nothing away from any other position, but at times I thought the linebackers and the defensive backs looked even better because the defensive line did its job to such a degree. And I mean, how could you not love what you got out of Lonnie Phelps, but it, it was all of them. Caleb Taylor had a bunch of plays. Malcolm Lee had some plays. Caleb Sampson had some plays. I, Tommy I was Dunn? Really
1: impressed. Yeah, Tommy like, Dunn. I, he, wait, 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 Tommy Dunn wasn't on the depth chart, was he? I don't think he was. I don't think he was. And yet, Tommy Dunn had some significant splash plays as well. I was blown away by the depth of the defensive line. <laughs> blown away and you want to know something you talk about hey the back seven's playing better because you're seeing the front you know the the the, the front four kind of getting home and, and, and disrupting a little bit I agree with that um but I think I think the linebackers played really well behind him too um but I let me get I'll get to there in a second the defensive line is back to that you saw the depth you saw the penetration you saw the one gap kind of attacking style defense that they're kind of introducing they're not sitting on their hands reading gaps out trying to two gap a little bit you know they're they're letting everybody play fast and play downhill, and I think Lance Leipold even said something very similar to that today in his press conference. And it's absolutely true that defense was flying around. They are closing on the football. Um, they're they're trying to be the aggressors a little bit. And I think you saw the linebackers getting to play a little bit faster, reading things a little bit quicker. I saw like Taiwan Berryhill thought was great. Some yeah. of the inserts that he made into his run fits, flying in there was out were outstanding. The entire linebacking court, Craig Young's a unicorn. I it, mm-hmm. like. I I'm gonna unicorn in the sense that like he could. He's done everything that that team has asked. I think he could line up and play outside corner if they really, really wanted him <laughs> to. But I saw him, you know, outside leverage on number two on the number two receiver in a three receiver set or you know three receivers to one side. He's playing outside leverage, number two, carrying beautifully, uh, covering extremely well. That man could they can use him? So, like, I just was so impressed by just so many different personnel groupings and, and so many different uh players on that di- side of the ball. The wall that they built on that on against the run, like, to your point, was just unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I that's one of the things that I found pretty interesting about Brian Borland's scheme compared to some of the previous Kansas, Kansas coaches that I've covered. Although it's really a short list just because Clint Bowen has been in charge of that defense for a long time, Somehow. And yeah, <laughs> as well.
1: I mean, he's in um, Lawrence still.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Still in town um, at the high school level. But, uh, you know, so many of these big 12 teams have gone to and, and it's a, a good approach. It's worked for a lot of them, like a three three five, and And the goal has just been as many defensive backs, as many safeties, as many of these guys on the field at the time as possible. Well, Brian Borland's thing, one of his many things, is that if you're going to play outside linebacker for him, you're going to have to cover. Like they're not going to mess around and bring a safety up, and now they only have one safety deep because they're afraid of a linebacker getting burned. They ask all those guys to cover, and that's why one of the reasons why I was like pretty excited about Craig Young's potential, just because I think he's such a natural fit for that. I, I mean, I he has the body of a guy who could easily, you know, transition to safety if that's where they wanted him to play full time, like a box safety or something like that. Um, so yeah, it, it, from that perspective, they not only it felt like they not only had him out there knowing he had to cover, but that they were like, okay, like, yeah, put your receiver on Craig Young, the Ohio state transfer and Uber athlete and see what he does. There was a time the ball didn't even get thrown. I was kind of bummed about it, but he was in coverage where he just like straight up blanketed the guy. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's pretty impressive. Craig Young working out of the slot is like a slot corner. Um, I, I think KU fans will remember Bryce Tornaden and Bryce Tornaden became a very good football player. But he did not have the, you know, athletic tools. What he was doing was because he developed so well. His technique was good. He found himself in the right positions. Craig Young is like the version of this, but also a fantastic Uber athlete. Um, really, the only side, really, the only downside to the linebackers I thought was uh, was McCaskill. I, I didn't think he looked ready, um, and and he came to to camp late, so I know some of that's to be expected. I was a little bit. Um, it made me a little bit nervous about how soon it's going to be until he's ready to, to compete and get major snaps in a big-time game. That that kind of got set back for me a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, we might have to wait a little while for for McCaskill to kind of come on, but the wait is over in Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated <laughs> sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on, some ga- on same-game parlays, Spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State to celebrate. DraftKings is giving new customers in Kansas a can't miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. Thursday night is almost here. Want more action for opening night kickoff? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any pro football team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800 522 4700 21 plus. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bet. One early win token issued at opt in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at draftkingscom Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. Um, I, I, yeah, I I want to see the linebackers, you know, another week because I'm curious kind of how the rotations play themselves out as the season goes along. Because you talked about Lorenzo McCaskill, Gavin Potter, we talked a little bit. He got some opportunities with the ones, but I mean, he's even playing late into the season or late into yeah. the game. I'm sorry. And so I'm just kind of mm-hmm. fascinated to see the rotation of those linebackers. I think Craig Young has kind of established himself extremely well. Um, Rich Miller, I think, played fine. And I, but, I think the thing for him is like he's a smart football player. He gets people lined up. He's one of the leaders on this football team. That's where it's going to be interesting to see how some of these guys that maybe are the on the second line and the two deep kind of get to integrate themselves a little bit further into this defense because it feels like you know you saw flashing flashes for all these guys and or intangible things that kind of establish that guy, but you've got capable depth in the back end. Eric Gilliard for I. I <laughs> I, I was not prepared for how um, well-built Eric Gilliard was. He's yeah. kind of a shorter guy, but he's a lot stockier than I thought he was. Yeah. And, like, he did some really good things against the run and then came out and made a play on the football late. <laughs> like, all On, his, guys, birthday on his birthday? On his birthday? What? <laughs> that was impressive. So, like, you see – yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just I'm, – I'm curious to see how that group shakes out moving forward because, like – but this is the good thing about this whole front seven. Okay. And I think it's going to matter six weeks from now as much it is, as it is today. But they have a solid rotation that they can throw at people in the entire front seven. And I think, you know, there's going to be some attrition that's going to happen. But at the same time, like you feel good about what this team can do if there is attrition. That's the sign of a capable Power Five football program. I'm excited that they have so much depth in that front seven. I think that revealed itself uh, in this game.
2: Yeah, well, I think a prime example of that and a prime example of what Kansas has been building even a little bit before Lance Leipold, you know, going back to the Les Miles days is with Caleb Taylor and, and really with that kind of second unit defensive tackle and defensive line spot as a whole. Mm-hmm. But Caleb Taylor is an example of a guy who came in to play one position has grown through a weight room has now grown with a new staff who has now changed, you know, what he's doing, his responsibilities going from, you know, a three, four under one coordinator to a four, three, to a different system, all these things. And now you just kind of see that he's getting it. And I thought that applied to a number of these guys to where it made me even more excited about the transfers. And by the way, there was one play that, that I noticed. I noticed it at the time. And, and, I don't want to make too much of it because it was one play. I didn't see it happening on every down. But Kenny Logan was like screaming at guys on the field to get lined up correctly, to get in the right alignment, directing them. And like, I've seen him do some of that stuff before. But that to me was kind of next level. Like, hey, I know where you need to be. So get there so we can run this play correctly. And it all sort of falls back under Brian Borland's whole scheme thing of, it doesn't matter if the perfect play isn't called as long as everyone's on the same page running it. You have a better chance at success than if one guy is off doing his own thing in the middle of nowhere because he has a good read on something, but no one else is, is kind of accounting for that. So I was really impressed with the defense from that perspective. I was impressed with just about like everyone, at least in the two deep. I mean, it, it didn't should, go totally across the board, but I was. You
1: impressed. Know, you should be. But and I want to speak. I want to speak to that communication too a little bit there because, mm-hmm. I, you, even um, sometimes that that chaos, uh, you know, that chaos to communicate and organize, you didn't see it very often. You want to know why? Because they were very well connected on the back yeah. seven. They were very well connected. I was very impressed by that. The communication was very high. For that entire back seven, I thought for the entirety of the game, and I noticed that a lot. Kind of, I was, I was kind of end zone ish view. Kind of getting, we actually my kid, I was with my kid. He was having a great time. We actually wound up going to the front row uh, because he just wanted to get up and close. But like getting to see the communication on the back end, those guys were staying very well connected to each other to make sure that they were all in sync with their coverage, and um, it showed. Because I don't think I saw a ton of of significant busts on, on the, you know, in the, in the back seven. And that's, that's, that these are the, these are the hallmarks of growth. And, you know, I think Lance Leipold said, you know, we don't have to teach, you know, it's like not as much teaching these guys all the Tyler shoes. Like they're getting it, they're getting the work situational football. They're confident in the, um you know, in a lot of the, you know, the, the basics, the, the basic blocking and tackling, which is kind of, our yeah, but that's really what it is. It's just like the basics. They feel very good about. Yeah. And now they're getting to expand a little bit more. And you, I think you saw that with the connectivity of the back seven.
2: Yeah. Let's flip it. So Kansas is playing West Virginia next. West Virginia has a very good front seven. I think it it caused Pittsburgh some trouble. This Kansas offensive line, where do you feel about them right now? What did you learn, if anything, from that first game?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much we could have learned. Um, I still think, you know, this, this team kind of plays with a lot of outside zone kind of mentality where I don't know if they're displacing and changing the line of scrimmage. They're worried more about body positioning and letting the backs do the work. That kind of feels like, you know what, what they're trying to accomplish there. Um, But I I think there was some, there's some high level moments. There were some good moments. I think, you know, they introduced a lot of different concepts. I mean, even, even within that triple option stuff that they were kind of introducing, they, they were pulling a guard and a tackle and and you know they're pulling them up field and and Jared Casey's Arc releasing and Jalen Daniels uh keeper was off a of guard mm-hmm. I think it was like the guard attack were pulling front side Jared Casey's Arc releasing uh Jalen Daniels read it out kept the ball one of the few times he kept the ball and it turned into explosive run play I was very impressed with the variety that they were able to introduce. I don't know if the execution was perfect. I don't know if there was any guy across the board that stood out to me. I think they all... I mean, Mike Davitsky's he's been very steady. Um, but I think there's you know there's still some growth there to be had. The good news is, I think you're right. Pass protection was, was definitely an improvement. This is going to be a much bigger test for this group this week yeah. than it was last week.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what, and and you mentioned him, I was going to, I know we talked a little bit about him earlier, but you know, you were pretty confident and I was pretty confident that Jared Casey had a role to play on this team. And I, it's more than the memes and it's more than the touchdown catch. I mean, I, I legitimately feel that he's Kansas' best tight end. By the way, Trevor Cardell, while he was on the participation sheet, he was basically a no-show in this game. It was mm. uh, Jared Casey, it was Mason Fairchild, and it was Tavita Noah. Uh, those were the tight ends who, who basically appeared. Um, what Jared Casey did... Blocking at the second level. I mean, it wasn't the best block of all time, but he got to the second level. He cleared the guy out and Devin Neal gets a touchdown run. And then later on another one, same thing, where it's you you just got to leave a hole for the running back. Guy goes outside. He makes sure he can't come back inside to make a play. When you go back and watch some of those plays and and just watch, Jared Casey gets it. Like he Mm -hmm. understands how to block. And that's one of those things that has me excited offensively and kind of has me thinking like, Pittsburgh was able to put up some points and move the ball. It wasn't always that way. West Virginia definitely deserved to to win its week one game. I mean, if Neil Brown goes for it on a, a fourth and one at like the plus 48 and they get it, that game's probably over. They were up by a touchdown at the time. It was, I think, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They're going to get a field goal. The game ends. Instead, they punted um, in part because I think, you know, if West Virginia loses to Kansas this week, you know, Brown may, may be out of a job. Like he he may not make it another week after that. Certainly this yeah. year is is make or break for him. But when I I see someone like Jared Casey understand that, um, it it makes me think that Kansas will not be in a position that it has been so many times where like Puka Williams is leading the nation in broken or eluded tackles behind the line of scrimmage, which is like a really cool stat. Until you think about it, and then you're like, why would he even be in position to break that many tackles behind the line of scrimmage? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That had me promise from KU. I also thought some of the receivers impressed me blocking. I thought Douglas Emelian had a Mm -hmm. couple of good blocks. Yes. Clearly, like Kevin Terry's blocking, because uh, the first few times they brought him in, they ran something where he was going to block. Um, I I was impressed. I thought the KU receivers on the outside actually blocked pretty
1: well. I think so too. I mean, and I think the guys that d- were blockers were the ones that were getting opportunities, but I think, you know, Devin Neal's run, I think there was some decent run, you know, decent blocking and some guys that were willing to run down the field with him, trying to clean things up. Lawrence Arnold pushed a guy in the back, didn't get called yeah. uh, right at the end of, of Devin Neal's 80 yard touchdown run. But like, I, yeah, I think there's some capable blockers across the board. You know, they emphasize that I think very clearly. And I think they have emphasized it because of the growth and improvement from South Dakota to now, how valuable, you know, 10 guys blocking for a ball carrier is. I want to go back to Jared Casey really quick. I have a take for you. Uh-oh. Jared Casey is catching a touchdown pass up the seam against West Virginia this week. Okay? And here's why I think so. We saw this team run the coastal essentially what it is, is a lot of the coastal carolina stuff. It's the triple option, you're getting the running backs involved as the pitch man. Um you're getting, you know, multiple backs involved. You know, we saw a lot, we saw a variety of blocking schemes. We saw a guard tackle pull, you know, we saw all kinds of different stuff in in the blocking game. What you know, the, the insert the with Tavita No, We saw a really diverse blocking scheme. You know what we didn't see? We didn't see a pass, Scott. Hmm. We didn't see any play action pass off of that off of that option game. So we really haven't seen the full um reveal of what that that kind of run scheme can do for this offense. And one of the hallmarks of uh, I keep going to Coastal Carolina because mm-hmm. I think there's some similarities of the stuff that Coastal ran and what these guys are running or number what KU four. ran. Uh, that one number four, I think that was mm-hmm. was that you talking about the the tight end? Likely,
2: yeah. Isaiah likely, yeah. It so it's is just they a likely. Mm-hmm.
1: having a great. He had a great preseason for the Baltimore Ravens, by the way. But um, they they could they'd get guys up the seam wide open a lot. Um, that is one of the things that you saw a lot of with Coastal Carolina off of these play action, um, the play action game off this triple option stuff. Um, you can even read it out as a true run pass option. Uh, I know that that gets thrown out a lot, but that that does happen a little bit too. I think you know the way they use Jared Casey with the arc blocking, you know, getting out of the backfield and running up the field, you know, out over blocking, you know, an, uh, an apex defender, some of that kind of stuff. I think. You're going to see him release up the seam, off play action, pop past Jalen Daniels, easy touchdown. I think he's going to touchdown this week because we didn't see them utilize the passing game at all off of this run stuff. So now you're going to sit there, and West Virginia is already racking their brain because they saw some new offensive schemes that they hadn't seen yet, and now they're all all, all going to have to kind of theorize. What the pass, what the passing game is going to look out at, look like out of this look. They've got to come up with stuff they're out for themselves. Because I don't think I saw one single pass play out of this triple option stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean the closest, and it was, I mean this was more play action, was just the one that was a fake toss that ended up being the deep bomb to uh, uh, Quentin Skinner. That's who it was. But uh, even that, I mean, that was not the same action. It wasn't the you're triple talking stuff. About. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what was also interesting to me too is just the lack of times, although they didn't necessarily need to, like. We didn't necessarily see a ton of pitching either. Like, we just saw kind of the the guys Oof. running together.
1: We did see that one from Jalen Daniels. <laughs> yeah. Jalen Daniels, nope. you know, I, Lance Leipold used the word greedy. <laughs> he got greedy trying to pitch it to Quentin Skinner <laughs> when he was about to get tackled. I'll just say that.
2: Yeah, I, and that, again, I, I think they're – it'll be really interesting to see how often they go to some of that stuff and how they develop running it because yeah, that w- that was one that obviously could have ended in disaster. I'm really interested for this matchup though, just because I think West Virginia's front seven will present KU a lot of problems, but on the flip side of that, you have mobile quarterbacks. And if you need to, you have a complete change of pace option. Um, maybe change of pace is wrong, but you bring in Jason Bean and I think you can do some really creative stuff with him too I am curious. What do you think of kind of the the uh, full house? I don't know if that's right, the three running back set that they brought out a couple of times. You like that or interested to see what they can do with that?
1: It only works if you give it an if it has an advantage to it. And I think that's something that even uh Andy Koldniki said was like, you know, it only matters if it's if it's gonna you know benefit you. And I mean, that was the first the first play they of the game they opened with was that was that three running back look, and it, mm-hmm. it didn't look great. Um, I don't know. What I think the stuff that really looked good was getting the running back or getting the receivers involved as the pitch man in some of yeah. those motions. I think it, that the tight ends being involved looked a lot better than the three running back stuff. And I mean, I think that I think KU has capable blockers in Tevita Noah um, and, and Jared Casey that can, you know, can do some stuff linearly up the seams, but also are capable blockers. I think that stuff looked a lot better than, than some of the three running back stuff. So I was more encouraged by some of the other things we saw later in the game. Uh, than I was necessarily by some of that three running back stuff. So, I, I think you just continue to to rotate those guys, give them opportunities, and and keep those guys fresh. I think, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'd lean towards rather than you know trying to use three of those guys on the field at the same time.
2: It, well, how about you talked about creativity? How about getting Mason Fairchild like a touchdown right by the end zone, putting him off like two rub routes, like having two guys set picks for him basically just to get open? I, I'm really curious because. Andy Kotelnicki has such a wonderful reputation for not only offensive creativity, offensive versatility, but just I think among his peers, like the number of conferences or speeches or things that you can find online where he's giving a clinic about coaching and lots of guys do that, but where he's really opening up on like all the things he wants and hopes to accomplish as an offensive coach. I think he takes pride in creativity and functional creativity. Like I don't think he's one of those guys that will mess with you just to mess with you or, or do something cool just to have it look cool. Like he really cares about it, working, progressing the team down the field. And if it's not, he's going to say, okay, we're going to run wide zone. Are we going to run it left or right? That's what the defense is going to have to figure out. Um, I'm fascinated. And, and you mentioned the option of like Jared Casey running up the seam. I want to see more of the pitch game. You mentioned the the non running backs guys, non-running backs being the guys that were like running behind the quarterback the, to to pitch it to. I mean, Stephen McBride was that guy at one point. There were, there were just a number of different ways that they could do it. I, I'm very curious how much they go to it, if they feel like it's something they're comfortable running like a ton of plays off of immediately or if this is something for like even later in the season. But I'm excited. This has me legitimately excited. And it had me excited, by the way, when I was going back, you know, I got home probably – you know, I, I live in Kansas City, so I'm a little far from Lawrence. I probably got home at like 1230, 1 a.m. the, the night after the game. I wanted to rewatch it right away. I try to do that every night after the game, but I, I wanted to get it done because I was like, I want to just see what I just saw again. And, hmm. and you get the all 22 view up in the press box. It's like, I want to see a little bit more zoomed in, honed in. I want to see some of these replays. Yeah, it was it was a good learning experience, I think.
1: Yeah. And uh, functional creativity on offense is something that I think you you brought up. Um that's so valuable because like, and I, and I don't think like well, coming back to West Virginia, I don't think KU can line up and just manhandle West Virginia up front. So they've got to give them a lot of, of diverse looks. They've got to, um, they've got to, you know, try to confuse that front. They've got to create a lot of misdirection in order to effectively move the football on the ground. I think, because I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to be something where they displace that front with great ease. And to be fair, I mean, not, i think honestly i think the backs did some heavy lifting this week if i'm being honest i i think there were times where the backs were right and the blocking was fine and that was i think a hallmark of last year too late in the season devin neal made that blocking right against texas several times mm-hmm. um not always but i mean it's, it's kind of give or take at times with him but um I I think, you know, I don't know if this this group is a group that's going to be dominant up front physically and I don't think they necessarily were overwhelming, you know, displacement. Um it was just a lot to throw they just threw a lot at them. And that, you know, that's that might be if you're talking about if you're talking about building an offense to play perfectly to your personnel, I think we're we just talked about the backs and the tight ends and the quarterback's mobility. But the same with the offensive line, I think this can help them a lot moving forward and i think they're going to have to utilize that against west virginia to kind of create some confusion uh to a very good front
2: yeah well let me ask you this too with west virginia jt daniels um, I, i think he struggled when he got under when pittsburgh was able to put him under pressure the west virginia transfer quarterback for those who don't know was at georgia lost out in the job to stetson bennett who has taken off to meteoric heights and by the way played like the best game of his career to open the season. He's ranked just ahead of Jalen Daniels in quarterback rating. Jalen Daniels is ranked third in the nation in quarterback rating. Just so everyone knows he's ahead of Bryce young. I definitely mean to take that seriously. So get your Heisman Benson. Um, let's go. If Kansas is going to have success against JT Daniels, like I don't think you can rely on a repeat performance from Lonnie Phelps. And just no. that this guy is going to live in the backfield. Mm-mm. I think it's got to happen pretty much at all levels. And I think we are, probably going to see some creativity from Kansas defensively with how they go after him. Do you have any thoughts on like who would need to step up or what you would need to see to feel confident KU will be regularly able to get pressure against the team that, that probably brings will definitely brings a lot more back and has a lot more quality than the, you know, Tennessee tech in week one.
1: Well, I mean, I I mean, yeah, Lonnie Phelps is going to have to be a guy that generates a lot of pressure. I mean, I think, Hmm. I, uh, Jeremy Robinson I think actually is a guy that probably's got to do a little bit more. Um I think he was a guy that he, he looks he looks he looks awesome. He looks awesome. Like physically just awesome. He looks like a long athletic guy that can disrupt a little bit. I think he's a guy that they're going to need. Um we talked about Caleb Taylor a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's I think it's in the aggregate. I really do. Like, I think mostly it's just, it's just being able to throw this number of bodies at, at, at a group. I think that's where the the value of this defensive lines depth is, is it, if you can just continue to bring guys with limited reps that are, you know, fresh and ready to roll, it's not going to be a game to game consistent, you know, outside of maybe Alani Phelps, but it's going to be in the aggregate of guys, just kind of piecing things together. Uh, and one guy, you know, getting a sack here or there. Like, I just don't know if there's ever going to be an overwhelming interior presence, but I think there's a lot of guys that fresh can do it late into the game.
2: Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this about Lonnie Phelps. Like I'm trying to reconcile knowing like the quality of the opponent versus how incredible he played in the first game. I, mm-hmm. I mean, he blew every expectation out of the water and, and I thought, you know, that there was some thought maybe like it took him a while to get going. I think that's largely, largely because his statistics came later on. When I when I rewatched the game, I saw him making plays early to set other people up for making plays. So I was impressed by that. How much do you think you can read into that? Because I, I do expect him to be Kansas's best pass rusher. He had nine and a half sacks last year. I think he could even be more valuable than a guy like Kyron Johnson was last year. And I thought Kyron Johnson was very good. But I'm trying to think like Dorrance Armstrong and Daniel Wise working together. That that tandem was it was probably the and it wasn't even in their last season. It was in Dorns Armstrong's sophomore season. That's like the bar for really good Kansas disruptive defensive line play was that duo. Do you think he and and someone on the inside can get close to that? I know you mentioned the aggregate. I'm just curious if Lonnie Phelps could actually be that kind of all, you know, big 12 type guy this year, just because I was really impressed in that first game.
1: I think he can be, but I don't know if he's going to be a guy that... I think, I think Lonnie Phelps is going to be a little bit week to week when it comes to how disruptive because I don't know how great he's going to hold up against longer tackles because I mean he got he got free off the edge pretty quickly against I mean he was some quick wins unblocked I mean Lonnie Phelps has shown the ability to, to pass rush really well I mean like he's shown it and proved it at a collegiate level at a high level but I don't think what you saw yesterday was an indication of what he's actually capable of against top two talent, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like he won quickly, easily. He's done it against better talent than what he saw, but he's also, I mean, I think length is something that gives him problems. So teams with some more length at the tackle position are probably going to make it easier for him to get run up the arc because he's not a guy that's going to anchor. Well, he's not going to handle, you know, he's not going to be strong as strong at the point of contact as consistently as other guys.
2: Well, I think this is the first challenge for that. And I I found it interesting. I don't know how much you look at like SP plus uh, from ESPN, but.
1: I'm not a nerd, Scott.
2: Fair. Well, I will nerd out for a second here. Kansas is ranked 84th. Uh, West Virginia is ranked 62nd. Here's where the uh, the difference is. Offensively, Kansas is 68. West Virginia is 62. Now, it factors in a lot of things. Returning production is actually something that favors Kansas because they have so much of it um, on both sides of the ball. The big difference is defensively where, and again, it's a metric and it's based off a lot of past performance stuff. Kansas is ranked 104th on defense to West Virginia's 59th. If you are looking for a reason to get excited about this game, I would say that 104 is an example of where Kansas has been and not an example of where Kansas is in the present. 100%. And I think if you want to believe in Kansas's defensive improvement, and forget about the last game, just take a year under Brian Borland, a year of understanding, and then guys that you saw, Lonnie Phelps, Craig Young, Marvin Grant, uh, Kalen Gervin, whoever, like all, all these guys that flashed. I think that is probably the biggest reason why people should and will get excited about this game. I know the line is is around two touchdowns, but – I think Kansas has a legitimate shot, and I think that number almost proves it because it says, hey, these teams profile, you know, we'll see how that actually translates. They profile somewhat similarly in terms of, like, the one number if you were to boil the offense down to one thing. Mm-hmm. But Kansas's defense is a lot better than it has been, and I'm just really curious for what that means for KU.
1: The acceleration of this defensive growth I don't think has been appropriately taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I'm still I'm just stunned by how well developed this defense looks. There is one thing I'm a little bit concerned about if I'm looking at one thing on the defensive side of the ball, specifically for West Virginia. And it's I mean, JT Daniels has ginormous receivers at his disposal. Absolutely huge. And I don't think KU has guys that can line up great with Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I think, I mean, basically, whoever's lining up across from Melo Dotson is going to get challenged, whether it's Kalen Gervin or Kobe Bryant. Those guys don't profile. I mean, I, I was kind of blown away at how long Melo Dotson was, honestly. But the other guys across, Kobe Bryant's still pretty, pretty slender. Kalen Gervin, I think, is capable, but more of a thicker guy than he is long. I think those two are going to get challenged. Outside the numbers and a big factor in this game is going to be whether or not those guys can 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 really, you know, challenge at the catch point, because I think everything in between the numbers looks pretty good. The front seven, the safeties, I think you like where they're at. And I'm not saying I'm disappointed in the corners because I think I I think the corners played well, but this is a different kind of test. And I think the physicality outside the numbers is something that JT Daniels is going to try to expose a lot. They're going to try to throw some num- those outside the numbers. And if they generate those explosive plays, that's the thing I think you got to worry about if you're Kansas.
2: Yeah. Score prediction?
1: Let's go. Oh, I, I have
2: not thought about one either. So you actually have to go first.
1: Yeah. I don't want to bet against Kansas. I'm not betting, I'm not predicting them to win. Mm-hmm. I'm predicting them to cover. And I think it's going to be close. And I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good game. Give me 27 21. West Virginia uh I think that that would be a that'd be progress that'd be progress uh yeah 2721
2: I'm gonna do my pick a little bit differently I like that 2721 so here here's where, where I'll go if Kansas scores 30 or more points against the West Virginia defense or, or a number that I, I think Kansas needs to surpass to win this game I think it's that 31 to 35 point range. Where if you told me that's what Kansas scored without telling me what West Virginia did, I would say absolutely. I, I'm probably thinking Kansas wins this game. I'm curious what it looks like offensively. I think defense. I, I think the tempo will be slow enough. I think defensively they will be able to hold up enough to not give up. I mean they average giving up like forty something points per game the last few years. So like I, I don't think we're in that territory. No. But I, I think for Kansas you're going you're going to have to win. Maybe not a shootout, but you're going to have to put up points. I think you'd have to tell me they got to like 31-ish before I would feel great about them winning this game. But yeah, I mean, if I had to pick, I'd say something like 30 to 20 or something like that. I think Kansas will be close though. And if this is a game and it's a game in the fourth quarter, I'm not even one of those people that's like, that's progress and you should be so excited and celebrate. No, because if your team loses, you're going to be annoyed and upset about that. If this is a game, I want to see what Jalen Daniels does because he's got some gamer in him. And and he's the type of guy that it would not shock me in the slightest if he made a huge throw and all of a sudden this thing's flipped on its head again.
1: He's shown capable. And he did even this week against Tennessee Tech. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a big moment for this football team, for the progress of this football team. We're going to learn a lot about what's real and what's not against West Virginia. And we'll break down what is real and what is not after these two teams battle it out in Morgantown. That's it for Booth Review. We'll catch you later.